With faith we can move mountains. A little different week this week. Now sometimes God does some unusual things and sometimes it's scary. God, early in the week I finished kind of all my final preparations for the message that I was going to share with you this weekend and and uh, had already sent it on to publication so they could do the, the bulletin and, and, and uh, create all the different things that, that go into a service. And then as I was reflecting later on, about midweek, the Lord said, you know, you, I, I may not have you do this message. I want you to get something else ready. So he actually had me prepare two messages for today. And I'm going to share them both with you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but... I'm not going to share with you what's in the sermon notes and publications because the Holy Spirit talked to me after I'd already sent that to publications. So don't worry about taking notes. I want to just talk to your heart for just a couple minutes today. We're talking about being salt and light in the world. And that is in response to the new person that God has made in us when we trust that Jesus Christ is our Savior. Now, the message today is primarily to those who have done that, who have trusted Christ as your Savior. If you have not, then we certainly want to reach out to you today because the gospel message of Christ, what Christ came to do on the cross, is the most awesome thing that has ever happened in the history of mankind. God sent His own Son to die on the cross as a sacrifice for our sins because God knew there was no other way that He could justify and reconcile us back to Him so that we could spend eternity with Him in heaven. There was no other way but Jesus Christ. And all we need to do to receive Jesus Christ is through faith, just believe who He was, who He is, and what He came here to do. And just say, Christ, I want You to be my Savior. I want you to pay for my sins with your blood. I believe that you are the only way, and I transfer the confidence off myself to get, work my way to heaven totally on you and what you've already done. Be my Savior. And see, the Bible says if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart, God raised him from the dead, we'll be saved. That's all he asks. And the vast majority of us here at some time in our Christian walk have done that. We've trusted Christ as our Savior. And the moment that happens, we've been talking about the last couple weeks, we become new creations. Who we used to be is gone. And we become a new person. What makes us new is not our behavior, not the way we look at life, certainly not our passion and devotion to God all the time. But what makes us different is that God puts inside us the Holy Spirit. We no longer go to church, we are the church. And some of us, continue to live like we used to live, and then we wonder why we feel so restless, and we wonder why we feel so guilty, and, and we wonder why life just doesn't seem to work for us anymore. It's because we're trying to live as somebody who we're not anymore. So, we're to live as new creations, and part of that is being salt and light. In other words, we have a new purpose in life, and our new purpose in life is to be a godly influence. And that's what being salt and light is, what we've been talking about. We'll continue and finish up next weekend. But I fear, and why I want to pause and just change gears for just a couple minutes today, is I fear that so many of us will limit the sphere of our godly influence. It's the most natural thing to do. Because most of us don't really think that much of ourselves. 
Most of us struggle with self-esteem issues. Most of us struggle with, with this idea and this, this fight that goes on inside us all the time that, that you know, we want to serve Christ, but, but boy, that old nature just kind of still tries to come back because we, we're, we're around a world where, where our culture keeps feeding us ungodly things and we struggle with that culture and we struggle with society and, and we feel restless. And so a lot of us don't really think very much of ourselves. And so we'll limit the scope and the sphere of where we think we can be godly influences. We have a lot of students here, and kids are going to be going back to school in a couple of weeks. And, and, and our, our, our children, especially our older children, might, might limit their sphere of godly influence to school and say, well, that's, that's where I need to be a godly influence in school. And, and it's true, they do need to be. Many, most of adults here have jobs and we're going to go back to work tomorrow or, or maybe some of you have to go to work later today and, and you're thinking, well, yeah, that's, that's the, the sphere of my godly influence. I need to be a godly influence. I need to be salt and light at work. All of us certainly have families, and, but it goes so much beyond that. And here's what I really want you to understand. God has empowered you to have influence far beyond where your eye is naturally going to fall. Jesus kind of told us that. You know, most of us, I think, would feel the same as I do. If somehow God revealed to me the exact moment I was going to leave this earth, that I was going to die, or the rapture was going to occur, and I knew, like, let's say that was going to be 45 minutes from right now. There's a lot of things I like about life, but I guarantee I would spend those last 45 minutes reaching out to the people I love the most and trying to gather as many of them around us as I can, as I could. I'd be at a telephone for those who live in different cities. And, and it would all be about me making sure my final words were words of both love and words of guidance of, of how I wanted them to live their lives and challenge them with godly principles. Well, Jesus had that rare privilege and opportunity to know exactly when he was leaving earth after he had ascended from the grave. And so he's sharing with his disciples. They're all caught up in the kingdom thing. You're going to build your kingdom now? You're going to catapult Israel into national prominence? Are we going to lead? Are we going to be the leaders of Israel? And Jesus said, that's not for you to know when I'm going to do that. But he left these final words, and I've shared these words with you before, but they are so important to every believer. Because we are now his disciples. And the same words that pertain to his immediate 11 disciples who were left, Judas had betrayed him and hung himself by then, are valid and relevant to us today because we are now his disciples. We are now the church. The Holy Spirit lives in us. And we know that God's word is timeless. And Jesus says this. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes up. In fact, prior to this, he had told them to go back to Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit. And we know that in Acts chapter 2, that's what happened. They went back to, to Jerusalem, and a short time later, the Holy Spirit of God descended on them when they were sharing the, the, the Scripture, and they began to speak in tongues, and, and, and then the whole Christian Christianity movement just started spreading like fire over the world. Why? Because these 11 disciples were so, so amazing men and, and orators. And, and no, they, they were fishermen and tax collectors. They were, they were the, the bottom of, of social ladder in man's eyes. They were empowered by the Holy Spirit, and that changed everything. We also are empowered by that same Holy Spirit. And that's why I fear that so many of us will listen to, to messages and series like this Salt and Light and, and we'll limit where we think we can actually be effective when 
we can be effective salt in such a greater sphere of influence than we ever imagined. In fact, Jesus tells us where it is. He goes on to say, you'll be my witnesses. That, that's your new purpose. You're to be a godly influence. You're to be salt and light in the world. And he tells us where. He says, first in Jerusalem. That's exactly where they were. He told them to go back to Jerusalem wait for the Holy Spirit. He said, start there. When the Holy Spirit comes, that's where you start. And then we're going to move out in concentric circles. For us, Jerusalem would be our own families. You know, I, I remember, you know, when I first trusted Christ as my Savior, I didn't know a lot. I was raised in, in church, but, but I would talk to my mom about it a lot. I'd talk to my sister about it a lot. And, and, and then I started talking to my extended family, and, and we talked about Jesus a lot. And I wanted to make sure everybody in my family knew about Jesus. And I'd tell them all about Jesus. Hey, have you been saved? Have you trusted Jesus? And I'd talk to my cousins. I'd talk to my uncles and aunts, many of them who weren't believers. And so I was a witness for Christ right off the bat at nine years old. And it wasn't because I had any influence. I was an impressive nine-year-old. Frankly, my grandmother who worked at a mental hospital often told my parents, you need to get that kid checked. <laughs> I was a squirrely little kid. But even at nine years old, the Holy Spirit lived in me. And I had influence in my family. And even though your family might not outwardly appear to be responding to your passion for Jesus Christ, that doesn't mean that God can't empower what you're saying and what you're doing and how you're living to make a difference in their life at some appointed time. And he says, beyond there now, don't limit your scope there. And that's where so many people limit it. Yeah, I'll be salt and light and I'll be a godly influence in my family. He says, then you, then you need to spread out some. You need to go out into Judea. Judea was the, the province, the country, which Jerusalem was the capital city of. He said, you're going you're to spread out. You're going to start in Jerusalem, and then you're going to start spreading out, being my witnesses other places too. Now, our Judea would be our community. And, and our resource to, to reach our community is the church. You're here at Florida Bible Church. And, and, and so we need to be witnesses to our community by serving in ministries of Florida Bible Church and, and by giving to Florida Bible Church and praying for Florida Bible Church and praying for our community and then learning here at Florida Bible and then taking what we learn out to other people. See, oftentimes we limit our sphere and we come and we learn and sometimes we'll leave saying, wow, that was, that was really an amazing... Boy, God spoke to me in an amazing way through that message today or through that song service today or through those missionaries today or whatever happened here. And we'll go home and we'll just kind of say, wow, that was cool. You know, eat a lunch and turn on a game or take a nap. And it doesn't go anywhere. That's not the intention. See, we are selling ourselves short when we stop there. And then he said something really unusual. He said to them, and in Samaria. Now, when Jesus said this to his disciples, their jaws had to drop. And the reason was because they were all Jewish. And Jewish people and Samaritan people hated each other. And the reason was because Jewish people, Orthodox Jewish people, acted in such a condescending way to the Samaritan people. I mean, they weren't, they, they weren't even hiding it. They, they, they weren't sensitive about it. They, they just didn't like them, and they made that known. And the reason they didn't like the Samaritan people is because they looked at them as half-breeds. The Samaritan people were a people that grew up around Palestine who were former Jews who had married into some of the Gentile cultures in the area. 
And that was forbidden by the law of Moses. And so when a Jewish man fell in love with a Gentile woman or a Gentile woman somehow was, had an, a, marriage, a marriage arranged with a Gentile man, then they were considered half-breeds. And they would go live in Samaria because they weren't welcome among the pure race of Jewish people. In fact, the Jewish Orthodox people hated the Samaritans so much that history records numerous times in secular history that Jewish people would walk miles and miles out of their way just to not have to put their foot in the land of Samaria so they didn't pollute themselves with these dirty Samaritans. Remember when this, Jesus was at the well and the Samaritan woman came to Jesus and he started talking to her. She said, what are you having to do anything with me? I'm a Samaritan, you're a Jew. Why are we even having this conversation? They hated each other. But Jesus now, in his final words, to his disciples and now to you and me, he says, not only are you going to be my witness, and not only have I empowered you to be my witness in your own family, even though everyone's not going to immediately respond to that, don't let that discourage you, I'm still at work. Not, not only there, but I've empowered you to be a witness, an effective witness, in your community, through your church. He says, but here's something I also want you to understand. I've also charged you and I've empowered you to be an effective witness among people that you don't normally associate with and sometimes that you might even have a prejudice against. It might be a, a racial prejudice. It might be a vocational prejudice. It might be a social prejudice or an economic prejudice. Or there are people we just... I'd rather not associate with him. He smells, doesn't dress very nice. He works over there, and I work over here. And she lives in that neighborhood, and I live in this neighborhood. See, Jesus is saying very pointly, his very last words, so we know they're important, they're impassioned. He's saying, listen, in the family of Christianity, there is no prejudice. There is no boundaries. There is no one that you aren't my witnesses to. There is no one that you're better than, and there's no one that you're inferior to. You are indwelt with the Spirit of God, and you are a conqueror. You are a victor. I have made you that way, and you are that to all men, to all women, of all races, of all ethnic and vocational status. And he concludes them by saying this, and to the ends of the earth. He said, not only in your family, not only in your local community, not only among people that, that may not like you or among people that you don't naturally kind of tend to, but to the entire world. And don't miss this about his final words. Don't miss the conjunctions. I've got to get our students ready to go back to school, talk about conjunctions. What are the conjunctions that he uses? He says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Important distinction. What's the conjunction that Jesus does not use? Say it again. Yeah, he doesn't say, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, or Judea, or Samaria, or to the ends of the earth. See, we limit our sphere of empowerment. We limit our sphere 
of influence. We self-limit. We put self-imposed limitations on us that aren't really there. We see ourselves as we really aren't instead of seeing ourselves as God has really made us. And so he has empowered us and equipped us to be his witnesses not on just a local status but in the international level. And not only has he empowered us to be witnesses on an international level, he has commanded us to be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now we kind of get it how we do it in our family. That's still a struggle for for a lot of us because some of our families don't cooperate a lot, do they? And we kind of get it in the community. Although we we, we really don't get it real strong there because 80% of people who attend most churches aren't involved in any ministry. So, So we really don't get it there. The whole Samaritan thing, ooh, man. I don't know about that. I don't know if I can identify with those people. I don't know if I could reach out to those people. But man, we really lose it when it comes to the last one. It's not even on the radar. And yet we have been both empowered and commanded to make an eternal difference throughout this entire world. How do we do that? How how in the world can we do that? Well, there's a lot of ways that we can do that. For some of us here, that way might be to respond to God's calling you to be a missionary. You to go to some foreign land. Now, I know whenever a pastor says that, naturally people are looking at the youth department saying, yeah, one of those kids. God's going to call one of those kids to the mission field. God, call one of those kids. Break their heart for the cause of Christ. Marie Jenks gave her testimony today. She wasn't a teenager. She'd already been through school, had a formal education, was well-established in a vocational community, and God put the call on her, and she left. And you know, she doesn't wake up in the mission field every day, going, oh man, what am I doing here? What did I do? I had a good job. I had an education. What am I doing down here in Venezuela with this Chavez guy? What was going on? No, because when God empowers us, He excites us. When he calls us, he gives us a passion. He gives us a fire in our belly to make a difference when we obey that voice. Couples here, you're not too old. God might call you to be a missionary. He said, I can't be a missionary. I've got a house and I've got a job and I've got little kids. But trust me, there's a lot of missionaries in the field today who had houses and jobs and little kids. And God called them and they respond. And now they are fulfilling their call, their purpose of God. His plan for their life by going to a mission field. Now most of us won't get called to go on a mission field. Some of us have prayed God to allow us to go to a mission field and and, and He's never allowed us to have that, that ministry. But there's still other ways we reach the whole world. Some of you might do like some of our members are catching a fire, and I'm so excited about this in Florida Bible. And, and you might go on a short-term mission trip and be a short-term missionary. We, a couple of weeks ago, we had our report back from our group, came back from Haiti. And we saw how excited they were about having been in Haiti for 10 days and taking the gospel to, the, to our sister church in Manish. 
a couple months earlier that we had a group come back from South Africa and we saw their excitement and their passion for Christ. They, they, all, they all say the same thing. I've never felt closer to God than I felt there. And I pray that this church will not only have people who surrender to the mission field as a vocation, as a calling, as a ministry, but I pray that we will be have people line up to go to Asia and to go to Africa and to go to Europe and to go to Central America and South America and everywhere on this planet as short-term missionaries for Jesus Christ. But the two ways that most of us can have an international impact and fulfill the empowerment that we have been given to be witnesses for Jesus Christ throughout the world, the two ways that most of us can fulfill that challenge is through number one, by praying for missionaries who are there. And not forgetting them, praying for them every day. Praying for their safety. Praying for their effectiveness. Praying that God will open the hearts of the people they, that he has, he has brought to them. And by giving to the cause of missions. So that they have the financial means to go. Now missions giving is above our tithe. Our tithe is the Lord. The Bible says that over and over. The tithe is the Lord. It belongs to Him. It doesn't belong to me. I don't tithe because I'm benevolent to God. I tithe because that's His portion of His blessing in my life. And I do it because I love Him and I trust Him. But missions giving is above my tithe. And all of us who are not called to be missionaries should be giving towards the cause of missions. We have a program here at Florida Bible we call Faith Promise Giving. That we just trust God for whatever amount He calls us to give to missions and we just give that amount. And we support missions. Our missions giving in our church along with our normal giving has felt the sting of the recession, see? Because we get scared and we lose our faith. And we start hoarding rather than giving. And we need to get back to giving and supporting missionaries. Now, I want you to see how important this is for us to get this. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 14, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. Read this with me. And then the end will come. Now, the Christian community is longing for Jesus Christ to come again. Jesus is coming again. Now, depending on where you're at in your spiritual journey, could depend on how excited you are about that. I remember when I was a little kid growing up in church and I'd hear a message about the rapture and Jesus coming back and all that kind of thing. I, I'd be scared. I'd sit in bed and cover myself with my blanket and go, Man, I hope he's not coming tonight. I really did. A lot of you have too. You know what I'm talking about. Then I got to be a little older, you know, and it was a whole different thing. I got to be, oh, you know, yeah, Jesus, I really want you to come again, but I want to get married first. Wait till I get married. I want to, I want to experience what it's like to be married. And then after I got married, it was, Jesus, I really want you to come, but wait, I want to have a couple kids. Because I want to know what it's like to, to have children and to, to love as a family. And, and, and so, Jesus, don't, don't come yet. And then it was like, Jesus, yeah, I, I want you to come, but there's some things yet I want to do in life. And, and, and wait, wait until I do that, and then, and then come. And, and then, you know, it's like, Jesus, I want you to come. I, I really want to be a grandparent. I really want to find out what that's all about. 
Well, a lot of us here today, I got a lot of the salt and pepper upstairs. Some of you just got salt. What's up with that, huh? And a lot of us have reached a place in life where we're just saying, Jesus, just come. Just come. Come now. Come today. End this nonsense. If you're young, you don't know what I'm saying, but you hear the response of those who do know what I'm saying. It's not that we hate life, we love life. We're just starting to hurt more. We're forgetting a lot more. Where was I? No. Oh, okay. We're waiting for Jesus to come back. Because when Jesus comes back, everything changes for the good. For us, who are believers, we have nothing to lose. We have everything to gain. It's going to wipe every tear away from our eyes. There will be no more pain, no more sickness, no more death. All those things will be outlawed. Why hasn't he come? It's been over 2,000 years. How come he hasn't come yet? Well, the reason he hasn't come is one word. I can describe that. the reason. One word, and that word is mercy. See, the Bible says that God is not willing that any should perish but that all come to repentance, that all come to faith in Jesus Christ, that all have their sins pardoned and forgiven for eternity so that all can live with Him in heaven. That's God's passion. But we know that all people haven't done that. And so every day, every hour, every minute, every second, God holds Jesus back to give one more man, one more woman, an opportunity to trust Jesus Christ as their Savior. And they're not going to have that one more moment if we don't fulfill our empowered and our commanded position to be salt and light. And Jesus can't come because God just can't bring himself to the point of sending Jesus because when Jesus comes and he returns, that's it for billions of billions of people who are alive. Their eternal destiny has been sealed. God loves every one of those billion. And he passionately wants them to spend eternity with him. And we are his voice. We are his presence. We are salt. We are light. That's a heavy burden unless we embrace the fact that not only have we been called and challenged and commanded to do that we've been empowered to do it greater is he who is in you than he that is in the world the Bible says Amen. the Bible says we are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ I don't care who's pumping the negative message into you, whether it's yourself or whether it's your family or your co-workers or whoever, but don't you believe it. You, who are in Christ, are filled with the power of God. You don't go to church, you are the church. And even though people will not appear to be receiving your salt and appear to be responding to your light, it doesn't matter because it's the power of God at work in you. 
And it is the power of God who will ultimately bring them to a humble place where they're willing to trust Christ as their Savior. Amen. And if they'll refuse, if they refuse, that verdict is on them. That's on their head. And God will take care of that. Let's bow our heads. Oh, I want you to leave today believing how important you are to God. I want you to believe today understanding that He has empowered you to make an eternal difference in people in your family, people in this community, people in this state, this country, and literally around the world. Believe it. Believe it. Own it. Live it. Spread it. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters here this morning. I pray for those who have been listening to that negative message about themselves. Whether it's Satan speaking that negative message into their ear, whether it's a family member, or it's a co-worker, or it's I don't know who, but God, I pray that today your spirit inside them might swell up right now and allow them to realize that's not who they are. For they are great in you, not in themselves, and not of themselves, but through the power of the Holy Spirit who now lives in them. God, help us to stop coming to church and help us to start being the church. Help us to be witnesses everywhere. And God, all when we start owning that, and when we start living that, we'll be amazed at what you do with it. And all we have to do is trust and obey. And then, Father, you'll do the rest. God, use us for your glory. May men, women, boys, and girls hear the blessed words of the gospel of Jesus Christ through our lives and through our declarations. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Al, load up that little course that we used at the end of the first service. In His time, in His time, God makes all things beautiful in His time. This includes you. God make you beautiful. He already has. And he'll use you to amazing degrees in his time. Let's sing it. It goes like this. In his time. In his time. He makes all things beautiful. Talk.
be warriors of Christ.